sorry, just got a little over, overwhelmed there just a minute ago. I'm trying to get my wits about me. I, uh, um, I guess if it was Preacher Crab right now, he'd say, okay, everybody get up front here, up front. Get up closer. Right. He, was he there? Did, did he preach here when he was here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's but that's what he would do in our church. You couldn't sit like over there, 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 there. He wouldn't start preaching until he got everybody up in the front couple rows. He says, you know, we need to be close for a church family. You know, it's pretty cool. I want to um, go into this message thinking about him actually because of uh, this message uh, actually is is one I've preached before, and it's one that uh, God preached to me uh, during these last two years. You're going through some type of a struggle or some type of a dark valley, I would pray that this would help you. There's one statement in the Bible that just grabbed hold of my heart like it's never grabbed hold of my heart in the last two years through all the uh, trials that we went through. And uh, it's really blessed me, and I hope that I can bless, leave you with a blessing tonight. I, that's what my, that would be my goal. Um, I call it my biggest, the greatest comfort verse in the Bible, or the greatest comfort statement, I should say, in the Bible. So I want to, because it's uh, Easter, because it's Resurrection Sunday, I want to first read to you something, uh, and then uh, a couple spots, and catch these three words, as he said, all right, as he said. Uh, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, if you want to follow along, it's in uh, Matthew 28. If you don't, it's okay, I'm going to be taking to Hebrews 6 in a minute where our, where our uh, preaching text is. But in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first of the day of the week, and came Mary Magdalene and other Mary to the sepulcher, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Now say this next verse with me. He is not here, for he is risen. But check the next three, next three words. As he said. Right? He's not here, he is risen, for he is risen, as he said. All right, now, if, you, if you're staying with me, you want to stay with me. If you turn over to Mark uh, in uh, 16... And it says the same basic verses, uh, 16 uh, down through to uh, uh, 3. It says, And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, and they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in white, uh, long white garment, and they were affrightened. And he saith unto them, Be not affrightened. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Now, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. There it is. As he said. One of the most important things in the Bible for us to remember is that God says things. And when he says things, you know they're true. You know they're, they're going to come true or whatever. However you look at it, whatever God says, that's why this Bible is so important to you tonight. 
Because everything God said, right, is in this Bible. And everything God said is going to be truth. Because of this statement, he cannot lie. Now, I want you to think about that. He cannot lie. Think about what you're going through tonight or what you've been through or what maybe you'll go through. If you don't have that statement deep down into your heart, embedded like stone, right, that God is not a liar, then, you, then all of the other promises you have, you're going, to one time, you're going to at some point doubt or get into a despondent state because you're wondering if God is going to do what he said he's going to do. We were just talking about that today with Brother Jeff. I said, how many times do we have to go through something, see God work through it, and come through as promised, and then next time we go through something, we start wondering, well, I wonder why this happened. You know, how are we going to get through this? And he always seems to bring us through it. Now, if you turn over to Hebrews... Uh, we'll make a quick stop in Hebrews 4. If I've got it marked, I'm not sure. I'm just doing this from memory. Um, I don't know if I wrote it down or if I didn't write it down. Hebrews 4.3. For which we have believed do enter into rest. There it is again. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. Um, and now just turn right over to Hebrews 6, and we get into our text verse tonight. And it's amazing you're saying that, the song about the anchor, because that's in this text here tonight. Now look at verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promises to Abraham, made, made promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the image immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which God in which it was there it is impossible for God to lie we might have a strong consolation or a strong hope who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast which entereth into the, within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made, a, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now I could take, if, you want to, if I wanted to do an expository message on this, I could take this all kinds of places tonight. But the statement that got me, he says, is that by two immutable things in which, is what, which it was impossible for God to lie. In other words, the two things, he's saying it was just impossible for 
for him to lie. Paul, who I believe is definitely the one who penned Hebrews, uh, uses the story of Abraham to make one of the most profound points in all the Bible. Here it is. It is impossible for God to lie. Say it with me. It is impossible for God to lie. Now say that one more time. It is impossible for God to lie. What does that mean? It's impossible for him to lie. He can never tell an untruth. If he makes a promise, it's going to come true. In other words, he's going to fulfill it. He's going to come through on it for you. So with this undeniable and irrefutable truth, using Abraham to illustrate it, Paul knew he could confidently encourage any reader, any reader, to patiently wait for God to fulfill the promises that he gave him or gave them in his word. Now, I want to tell you something. Sometimes when you go through the valleys and the storms, as uh, Brother Jeff just said a moment ago, it, it's sometimes you, you try to, you're trying to hang on, but actually it's him, the anchor that holds you. But you wrestle with God and you try to hang on. God in Genesis 22, 16 through 18 made Abraham a promise and gave his word, making an oath to himself that he would keep that promise to him because there was no one else that could keep that promise. So Genesis 22, 16 says this, By myself I have sworn. That's what he said. Saith the Lord. Abraham therefore patiently waited for God to do what he said he would do, and he endured by faith until God did what he said he would do. So Paul embellishes upon the significance of this thing, oath, this, this oath that God gave. That word oath, horkos, basically means making a promise formal or official. Right? That's all it is. You're just taking a promise and you're making it formal or official. The idea of verse 16 is people routinely make promises that they don't always keep. They're not always faithful to keep. Is there anybody ever kept all of their promises here? And I, I don't think anybody in this sanctuary could say, honestly say, yeah, I've kept all of my promises in, in my life. Because I failed on quite a few of them. And I think about, I go back to this thing. If I can't keep my promise, thank God he can keep his promise. Amen? Thank God he never, ever lies. I can always put my faith in him. So the idea of verse 16 is people routinely make promises that aren't always faithful to keep, but he makes a promise that he's always faithful to keep. So God promises are officially binding because he is the only one who is always faithful. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you are called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 uh, says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful, that promised. He is faithful, that promised. Because God is always faithful, he desires to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, immutability of his counsel, and he confirmed it by an oath. So here's what I'm going to try to set up for you here. God makes a promise, then makes it official. He makes the promise, then he makes it official. The heirs of promise likely is a reference probably to the descendants of Abraham, uh, who, like Abraham, can and will officially become heirs of their faith. The idea of the immutability, excuse me for 
butchering it, of his counsel, is a reference. It's a reference to his unchanging nature of God, of God's purpose and will concerning his promises. Now here's what I want you to catch as as we go forward from here. In other words, this is what he is. He's the promise maker, but he's also the promise what? Keeper. That's the two things, right? He's the promise maker. I will make the promise. But he's also, on the other side of the uh, equation, he's the promise keeper. Right? So he can make a promise, and then he will keep a promise. He will not break a promise because he cannot, uh, he will not promise because he cannot break a promise. All because, say it with me, it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Let that sink in. He stated his promises, and then he makes a solemn oath to keep that promise. Our greatest comfort, I believe, this is only me, my greatest comfort in all the Bible, especially during Resurrection Sunday, and for that matter in all of life, is this one exclusive profound statement in Scripture, it is impossible for God to lie. It's absolutely impossible for him to lie. I cannot say that. Uh, I've even probably recently told a white lie, you know, not to offend somebody or something. But he cannot do that. He, ha- he has to tell the truth. And because God cannot lie, Paul says, we have this strong consolation. That's what he said. Or what the Greek means is encouragement. We have the strong encouragement because he cannot lie. And consolation comes from that word paraklesis, and it has the same idea as the Holy Ghost come alongside of you to comfort us. I want to tell you something. When that, going through the things that we went through in these last two years, to think that God was right there with me all along, all along the journey that we went, it just, just blew me away when I was thinking about And it's all because he cannot lie. Because there are some things you go through. Uh, I was telling the other day, I I had a a young man come uh, to my, we had a gym at the time. We were selling everything off because we were going into, I was going into ministry. And I had a young man come in there and I thought he was coming to buy a machine. There was nobody there in the the church and he... uh, and he come in, and he come in like a lion. I knew that I was in trouble. And I was a pastor at the time. So he comes in, and he just started. I thought he was going to punch me. And he went up one side of me and down the other side of me to the point, And he kept going about, your God does this, and you say your God does this, and this. And he just, you know. And, and so I sat down on the stool because I, he was taking so long reeling against me. And when he was done, I said, are you through? I mean, are you through? And he says, yeah, what do you got to say? So what he had told me was this. In that rant, he had said that his little boy got run over by a truck and was killed. And he was an angry individual. And the only person he could think of at that time, I wasn't even his pastor, but he knew me from the gym, is to come in and just let me have it. And he's basically letting God have it. And he just went all through the whole thing. Now listen very carefully. When he was done, I said, are you through? And he says, yes. 
He says, so what do you think about that? And I says, well, I kind of agree with you. And he goes, what? I said, I kind of agree with you. I said, I don't know how I'd react if my little boy got killed by a truck. I said, I think I'd be as angry as you are. But you serve this God. You know, this God that you say is going to, you know, is coming back and, and is going to take you home, is going to protect you and everything. He says, aren't you going to defend him? I said, I'm just telling you, I don't know what I would have done. I may have reacted the same way you have reacted. But this one thing I know, I says, my God is faithful. That's all I know. And I put my trust in everything that he says. And that Savior, Jesus Christ, can be your Savior. And if you ever want to see that boy again, I said, I don't know, you know, I, don't, I can't put anybody in heaven or hell, but I said, if you, ever, if you have any chance at all of seeing that boy again, you're going to have to, at some point, give your life to Christ. So he calmed down for a minute, and I couldn't lead him to the Lord. He was just too hyped, and he shook my hand, and he left. He did shake my hand. Yes, he did. He says, you're not such a bad guy after all. Anyways, 10 years later, almost to the day, I was up in Johnstown, which is a place where I live right now, and I, 10 years later, I'm in this, uh, 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 oh, plumbing store, and I'm getting some parts for the church, and then he walks, now remember, it's 10 years later, we both look a lot different in 10 years, and he walked in there, and uh, he, I knew he knew who I was, and I could just barely tell who he was. I was thinking, I think that's that kid that came in and really went off on me. So anyways, he, he got the courage up, and he came over. He says, hi, Pastor. And I said, well, hi, how are you? He says, well, I just want to come over and tell you I'm sorry for the way I handled that situation that day when I came into your, into your gym. And I said, well, that's okay. I says, there's no harm done. He says, but I want to reassure you of something. He says, I got saved. And I said, you did? And he says, I did. He said, I got saved. And he said, I'm going to church now faithfully. And he says, I got my family going to church. And, you know, so I hugged him, shook his hand. And, and then as he's walking out the door, it was like, it was just so funny to me. He's walking out the door, being like going out the back of that church door. He went out that door. He opens the door, and then he yells. And now this place is full of contractors. And he yells back to me, hey, pastor, the reason I got saved is partly because of you. Can you imagine that? In front of all his peers, he said, hey, pastor, the reason I got saved is because of you. Now, I want to tell you something. Our God does not lie. And he makes a promise, if we're faithful with the gospel and we stay in love with people, no matter how they treat us, right, he is going to be faithful to his promises to that person, especially when we, to the, to, that receives the gospel that we give to them. He heard the whole gospel from me. He didn't receive them through me. But I planted a seed enough that within that 10-year period, he'd come to know Jesus Christ. Because God cannot lie, Paul says, we have that strong consolation. The Greek means encouragement, right? Therefore, we can lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, confidently 
and officially. That's why I can tell you when I pray for you, get ready, because God's going to give you an answer. I really believe that with all my heart. Therefore, we can lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. So here the consolation is, uh, conclusion is implied. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached to, to you all, and it was not a questionable story. It was a straightforward message, yes and amen. It's guaranteed to be true. Why? Because God cannot lie. He cannot lie. There's no facilitating, uh, facilitating about it because it's impossible for God to lie. There's no wavering in there. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I don't know of any other verse in the Bible that's black and white like that. You either got him or you don't. You either have life or you don't. And this is the record, he says. So let's, let's just set the record straight. Do you have Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, you don't have life. You don't have eternal life. But if you do have Jesus Christ, you do have eternal life. Why? Because God cannot lie. The truth is, all the promises of God regarding Christ were and are still positively true to the glory of God. Uh, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, their absolute assurance and comfort is the promises of God, of what he said is true. And I don't have to ever worry about it not being true. This is your hope, the anchor of your soul, both steadfast and sure. Now, this is just a basic 101 fundamental message, isn't it? There's nothing astounding about this. But you know the problem is, is that we forget these things. We forget these basic truths. It is impossible for God to lie. He has made an oath to himself. And he's not going to break that oath. So it can be trusted so much so when the storms of life arise, if the persecution comes against you, or pain, or loss of life, just the basic problems of life, maybe just basic problems of life, we have an anchor that stabilizes our lives. And we have a statement that does the same thing. It is impossible for God to lie. The anchor of our hope in God's promises is found in Christ Jesus. Anything Christ Jesus said that we have recorded in this full counsel of God, because see, he's the author of this book, it's going to be true. He is the anchor that will not let go or drift away or break its hold. You know, in Paul's letter to Titus, he wrote, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, he says, promised before the world began. Isn't that amazing? Paul put a lot of emphasis on that. About Make sure you know that. Why? Because you're all going to go through things that are going to cause you to doubt. They're going to cause you to waver a little bit. And he doesn't want, Paul's saying, I don't want you to waver. Well, actually, God's saying that. I don't want you ever to think that I'm not there, or I don't care, or I'm not in control of this, or I won't help you through this, because I've made an oath to you through Jesus Christ. Once you give your life to him, I've made a promise that I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm going to be with you through the entire rest of your life and into eternal life, no matter what you go through. It may not be where you think you were going, 
You may be going in a different direction. He may stop you like he did us and set me by the brook for uh, 18 months or two years or whatever it was. You know, while he feeds me with the bravens and the, and the brook until the brook run dry. But I'll tell you, when the brook run dry, he, Elijah was right off again to the work of God that he had already planned and prepared for him to do. I'm praying that's for me. So the hope or goal of our faith, including truth and godliness, is eternal life. And God, who cannot lie, promised it before the world began. And this is what I believe is our greatest comfort. It's just that simple statement. It is impossible for God to lie. There's three things there. These aren't my points, but three things, and I'll give you my points and we're done. Eternal life is the ultimate hope of all hopes for all people. Why? Because God cannot lie. He just can't lie. Those who have trusted in Jesus, that's the hope of glory. Eternal life is the ultimate promise of all the promises that God makes. You know, because deceit or lying is incompatible to his very nature. When Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead, he rose from the dead. That's why he was so concerned with them when he came in and they were so frightened. He said, no, this is what I told you that I was going to do. Eternal life is the ultimate plan of all plans that God made before the beginning of time. It's all about God's promise of eternal life to those who will receive that life from Jesus Christ. Jesus over and over again repeated and affirmed this truth. Listen to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's, that's an oath. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. John 10, 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I, just, I can't understand anybody that thinks they could lose their salvation. He made an oath, and he can't lie. So I knew in the moment I gave my life to Christ and read that verse, I knew that I'm always going to be saved. Once saved, always saved. Now, will I walk away? I could, I guess. But he's not going to walk away from me. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's always a gift. Because we don't, we don't deserve anything. right? We needed mercy. And he gave us mercy. And then by grace, he gave us a gift. So God, in his own perfect timing, chose preaching to manifest or prove or make alive his faithfulness to keep his promises. Isn't that amazing? The foolishness of preaching. I was telling my brother here today. Uh, I once listened to a uh, preacher, and uh, he was preaching away, and he loved people. He had a church full of people, and he was giving a message, and I was listening to him. <laughs> And I, I turned to my wife and I said, I have no idea what he's talking about. I said, I've studied the Bible for 30 years now. I said, I have no idea what, where, what he's even talking about. I couldn't even couldn't get it in my head, you know. But he loved people and he was all over people. And he, was, he, was, he kind of took the job as a, to help out the church. And he had the church packed because of that. And I walked out of there because I never condemn a preacher ever for, you know, for making the effort and trying because I'm not that great a preacher. So I said to her, I, I got to figure out what it was. I don't know what it was he was saying. I got home and looked up the verse and started doing a commentary study on to it. And guess who got blessed out of it? Me. Right? 
He didn't quite have it right, no. But he was doing what was right. He was preaching behind the pulpit of God, and God used the foolishness of preaching to reach my heart. And it actually brought joy to my heart when I got home and put a message together and preached it to my own people. God in his own perfect timing chose preaching to manifest or prove or make alive his faithfulness to keep his promises. Isn't that amazing? I find that very, very convicting. The preaching of God's word is the catalyst of our comfort because we're preaching about a God who cannot lie. Even if I mess up. I guess I messed up this morning. Does everybody know that? Did anybody catch it? I said I got saved in 1986 and I had been 40-some years saved or something like that. And one of the kids caught it and they said, wait a minute, I got that, you got that mixed up. You got your numbers mixed up or something. I did have my numbers mixed up. But I'm glad that God can take my words and use his words through me, I should say, and, to, and even help my words, right, uh, become somewhat effective even though I don't, may have not have it all right because I know that the Bible's got it all right. And my God cannot lie. So I may even tell something wrong and I don't even know I'm telling something wrong. I don't intend ever to do that. For after that, the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We receive here the primary means which God has ordained and uses for the propagation of the gospel and the proliferation of hope, and that's preaching. God is not a man that he should lie, neither is the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now, in the hope of eternal life, which God did not, cannot lie, promised before the world began. I say to you tonight, if you're just willing to get up here and preach, he's going to help you. And he's going to use you. If you're just willing to stand behind the pulpit and study his word and give it your best, no matter where you are. And I want to say this. I, you know, we don't promote women preachers, obviously. But it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man. If you're anywhere and you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're just willing to do it. Do you know my mother-in-law was the one that helped lead me to the Lord? She didn't have a lick of knowledge about the Bible. She just wanted to stand in, in, uh, uh, on the promises of God that she had heard and try to share that message to somebody else. I remember the night I got saved, the very next day I was going around the town trying to get people saved. I didn't have any scriptures memorized. I didn't have any of the Bible known. I just knew what I knew. There was five scriptures that uh, basically about, uh, in fact, I, I have them down here. There was, um, I wrote them down just in case I use them. There was John 14, 6. That captivated me, right? Caught my attention. Acts 16, 30 through 31. It claimed me. It's the verses that changed my life. That's how I got saved. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 was when he called me into ministry. That verse called me right out of the workforce into ministry. Then I, ha I had several businesses. And it taught me that my life is about others, not about what I could gain. And then Psalm 115.1, this verse actually uh, sent me to the, my knees that night after I preached the message that it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Amen. And then Psalm 90.17, that one got me. He cares for me. That verse got such a hold of my heart that I said I want to be his beauty. I, I really do. I want his beauty to shine upon me, through me, and from me, no matter what I, where I am or what I'm saying. 
And then, obviously, Song 216, the one that carries me right now until the time that it carries me home, is that my beloved is mine and I am his. And I, I pray almost every day, let the beauty of the Lord be upon me and establish all the work of my hands, right, of my precious Savior. Now, with all that said, here's my closing. Here's the best part of this great and profound statement. It is impossible for God to lie. And this message that I'm giving to you tonight. If you believe this statement, that it is impossible for God to lie, then there are three little words that we find used in Scripture. And uh, this was one night when I was despondent. And I remember telling one of my friends that called me and said, I, I can't believe that God gave this to me, but it helped me, and I wanted to leave it with you tonight. The words start with be of good. Here's the first thing. If it's impossible for God to lie, if it's impossible for God to lie, and it is impossible for God to lie, then be of good courage. Just be of good courage. Right? It says, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, there is never a need, ever a need for or a reason to fear or to fret or to lose faith. We can be confident in Jesus Christ. He was who he said he was. He will do what he said he will do. And he will be for you who he said he will be for you. So someone once asked Alexander the Great, how, do you manage to con how did you manage to conquer the whole world? Do you know what he said? By not wavering. You just cannot waver on that statement that it is impossible for God to lie. Let us hold fast, or, fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is, he is faithful, that promised. Often we find ourselves hesitant or we're pondering things or reconsidering things and we revert, revert, we revert back to doubt and then making our own decisions without asking God. Then we begin to waver and the result is we don't conquer much of anything with what we're doing. So be of good courage means be confident in his promises and his ability to keep those promises without wavering. Being confident is the very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Whatever fearful thing you're facing today, just take courage in Christ. He can't lie or let you down, because he said the things which are impossible with man are possible with God. That's his statement. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And I believe him. And I don't want to ever stop believing him, to be honest with you, because I'm afraid of where I'd go or how far back I'd fall. Here's the second thing. It is impossible for God to lie, therefore be of good cheer. Jesus reminds us that, uh, he reminds us what to cheer about. And here it is. He has overcome the world. He's overcome the world, and that's what we're to cheer about. It says in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's nothing to worry about or be sad about, but there's everything to cheer about in Christ Jesus. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And that's right, just before the anxiety verse. For they saw him, they were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. He did that several times in the Bible when he approached people and he knew they were afraid. And we know that, what do we know that? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When a storm made it look impossible for Paul, uh, this I have written in the front of my preaching book actually, when the storm made it impossible, look impossible for Paul and his shipmates to come out alive, Paul confidently proclaimed, he said this, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. He says, For I believe God. I believe God. A joyful Christian serves as the best possible testimony for Jesus Christ. Your pastor is a joyful Christian. That's the best possible testimony you could possibly have on planet Earth is when you go through as much as he's gone through and many others have gone through and yet still he's ready to joke with you, he's ready to have fun with you. Listen, it's good to laugh. A merry heart doeth good like medicine. You know, if you don't have that, uh, Pastor Crabb used to say, if I, can't lie, if I can't laugh, I'd just soon die. That's the way he felt about it. I can and will rejoice when my faith rests upon those things that God has told me. Therefore, no matter what my circumstances are, I always have something to rejoice about when it comes to God's promises. Always. Isaiah 25, 9, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for him, he will save, and he will save us. This is our Lord, we have waited for him, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Just the fact that I'm saved is enough joy for me to get through another day. You know, I don't always, I don't always portray myself as a joyful person, but inside, this, that joy is just overflowing. You know, sometimes I can get into the, the thoughts of stuff and it can take me down like the sickness I just had this past three weeks. Uh, but, but the joy is still there. I still like to laugh. If God keeps his promises, it shall be even as it has been told to me in his word. Therefore, be of good cheer and rejoice in his salvation. Here's my last point we're through. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, be of good comfort. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. I want to tell you this. It's all going to turn out great. Amen? It's all going to turn out great. I mean, you've heard the cliche. I've read the end of the book, and we win. Right? Because when we get into battle, sometimes we don't see that God won the war. But a lot of battles we fight aren't always going to be victorious. But we know he wins the, he wins the entire war. So if we just fight them, right, and we keep going forward in them, it's all going to turn out great. It has to. You know why? Why? Because God is not a liar. He's not a liar. Second Timothy 1.12, For which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, Paul says to Timmy. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Jesus was always comforting his followers with God's promises. 
He was always doing that. He was always complimenting faith that was in God's promises. I'll just give you a few of them and we'll close. Matthew 9, 22. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. Luke 8, 48. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. This is why I entitled this message, Our Greatest Comfort. I really believe it is, because we serve a God that cannot lie. Like I said this morning, the problem isn't the actuality of God or the authenticity of the scriptures or the reliability of his promises to keep his promises. The problem is simply accepting the fact that God cannot lie. Because when you get into something, sometimes you say, what is going on? But I can always be confident in Christ, who's made those promises by two immutable things, right? That he makes the promise, and then he keeps the promise. And knowing that he can't lie, I can be of good courage, I can be of good cheer, and I can be of good comfort. Everyone listen to me. I, I don't know when I'll see you again, if I ever see you again, but the best is yet to come. We live in one of the greatest opportunities of all of history right now in America. You may say things look pretty bleak. Yes, they do. But it's when it's the darkest hour that the light shines through. I think we have the greatest opportunities right now to make such an impact for Christ that um, I, I, I'm just like hyper about it. I'm praying he raises up some people in every church to be some, I mean, people that are really strong in the word of God and in their faith. And they're just comforted with his words, right? They're cheerful about what he, what he does. And, and they're just going to be courageous when they go out there and they, and they preach the gospel to people. Why? Because they know they cannot lie. The best is yet to come. He promised it and he cannot lie. Amen?